We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In the hands of Waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. Yes! Welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. We are presented by a new sponsor. It is WinBet. That's Win, W-Y-N-N, Bet, WinBet. Uh, glad to have WinBet on board with us. They'll be the presenting sponsor of the pod for the foreseeable future. Nick Whalen joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Alex Barutha. Alex, we have hit the six days remaining mark uh, left in the regular season uh, at this point. Uh, a hectic regular season. You and I have... Um, uh, I think offered our complaints down the stretch here uh, about about some of the rest and uh, you know some of the stress that that's caused us uh, in terms of what we do at Rotowire. But the end of the season is almost here, um, and I, you know I was writing a, a an NBA gambling article earlier today, and I, I was starting to look at you know NBA title odds, which obviously we we've checked in on virtually every week throughout the entire season. But as, as I kind of tried to find a reason not to pick the Lakers or the Nets. And spoiler alert, I did not do that. I started to think about where the Lakers stand right now. They're one and a half games back of Portland. Uh, they're they're two and a half clear of the Warriors for eighth. So they're, they're in a very likely position to finish seventh uh, in the Western Conference. Is there any you know rationale for the Lakers to try to tank their way to eighth and play Utah in round one instead of Phoenix? Uh, no, I... I don't think so because I think Utah is is the better team than Phoenix. I know Phoenix 
I think it's had a better record maybe over the past 20 games or so, or after the all-star break, I can't quite remember, but I, I don't know. I mean, I understand like maybe if you get Utah in the first round, Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell aren't all the way healthy. Uh, right. I can understand that perspective of it. Um, if both teams are fully healthy, I would rather, if I'm the Lakers, I would rather face Phoenix just because uh, mostly their lack of playoff experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. So a big factor, as you mentioned, is Donovan Mitchell has not played since I think it's April 16th. And, you know, Utah only has three games remaining. And I, at this point, you know, we really have no idea if Donovan Mitchell is going to make it back for any of those. You know, they've, they've kind of been going week to week on him. It, it sounds like there's almost no chance that he plays Wednesday against Portland. If he doesn't play Friday at OKC, that means he has one more game in the regular season. And that's Sunday at Sacramento. If he doesn't play in that game, you know, then you're looking at the you know, game one of the first round starting on either Saturday the 22nd or Sunday the 23rd, meaning that it would be a full five weeks where Donovan Mitchell has not played in an NBA game. And, you know, he would have that that full play in week to to ramp up and, and practice and all that. But it, it's not the same as a game. And if, if he's making his return for game one of a series and Conley, like you said, could very well be in that same situation. Like if the Jazz starting backcourt has not played in three and a half weeks and five weeks. To me, that's a pretty big concern. Yeah, I think it has to be. I mean, especially when you're like if they were going up in a normal first round matchup against like Memphis or like kind of the depleted Golden State team, that would be something different. But the fact that it's probably or it it very well could be the Lakers, Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely concerning for Utah. Right. I mean, if they're if it is Donovan Mitchell's first game back um, is the first game of the playoffs against the Lakers. That is going to be a tough, you know, you don't, you would not feel as confident. Like, even if you're a Utah optimist, you would have to, like, think even harder before begging them to potentially upset the Lakers. I mean, if you're Utah or Phoenix, whichever team does end up playing the Lakers, and, and it should be noted that for that scenario to unfold, the Lakers would probably have to lose the 7-8 play-in game, which could be against Golden State or Memphis, more likely Golden State, based on the current standings. They'd have to lose that game and then win the final play-in game. So, you, you know, obviously they're going to try to win the seven, eight game. Um, I, I don't, I can't imagine they would tank their way into the final game where something crazy could happen and they would lose and not make the playoffs at all. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think LA would ever, you know, go to, to those kind of links. And frankly, I don't think they care whether they play Utah or Phoenix, you know, Utah maybe has the, if you're the Lakers, Utah's, you know, the ad- advantage of playing the jazz is these injuries. And, and the fact that I, I still don't think they're super deep beyond their top six or seven, but like you said, with Phoenix, other than Chris Paul, you know, virtually nobody on this roster, I, I guess Jay Crowder as well, you know, has has played in in meaningful games. And, you know, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, never really been close to the playoffs. Um, and Chris Ball's had his his playoff shortcomings as well, as great as he's been. So, you know, it given the scenario where the Lakers are falling to seventh or eighth, like, you know, Utah's really good. They've been the best team in the West pretty much wire to wire. Phoenix has been right there the whole time. Like, both of these matchups, you know, like, there's not like a complete juggernaut sitting there you know, for the Lakers at, at, at the one or the two. So like, even though things have gone completely wrong for them since the all-star break, AD missing 30 games, LeBron still not playing tonight. Um, you know, there's a chance that LeBron only plays one or two games before the playoffs uh, and before the play-in. And maybe he's not hundred percent, but all things considered, like if you're the Lakers, you still have to feel okay about it. And it's kind of crazy to me that they could be the eight seed and are still plus 400 to win the title right now, which is only behind Brooklyn at plus 200. Yeah, I think, if you if you want the Lakers to win the title, I, like we like we're saying, it's like the hardest road possible for them. 
And, you know, if LeBron's not great right off the bat, then it's going to be even harder. And, you know, if he has to play like 40 minutes a game in the first round just to get them into the second round on an ankle that's not that healthy, that could, you know, I think that could start being, it could have a cumulative effect. And then, um, you know, in later rounds, who knows? So here's the the one other advantage to the Lakers getting the eight seed as opposed to the seventh. And again, I will admit this is very unlikely that the Lakers would put themselves in this position, but the Clippers are are not locked into the three, but they're, they control their own destiny at, at the three. They play a Toronto team tonight that is basically starting like two of its regulars and, and resting everybody else. They're, they're in very good position to finish third. They really can't get to first or second, uh, but they are only a game up on Denver. So they'll, they'll have something to play for over these next five or six days. But If you're the Lakers, I don't think you want to play the Clippers. The the Clippers kind of had their number last year. I I think L.A., you know, LeBron and and Anthony Davis would never admit it. I don't think they wanted to see the Clippers in the conference finals. I think they were more than happy to see Denver. If you if you get the eight seed, you know, you get probably Utah in round one. Again, not going to be a walkthrough, but, you know, there's three teams right in the middle right now vying for those four and five seeds. And that's Denver, Dallas and Portland. In some order, those teams are, are two of those three teams are likely to be the four and the five. If you're the Lakers and you think you can get by Utah, I, I would much rather play one of those three Denver, Dallas, Portland than probably the Clippers in round two. Yeah, I mean, I would if you have an opportunity to line yourself up, I think, to play Dallas, you'd want to do that. Um, sure. You know, obviously, like Denver has I mean, without Jamal Murray, they are, you know, they're. They're in a bad way for the playoffs, but they still have mm-hmm. the MVP and Nikola Jokic on their team. And I'm, I mean, Doncic is also amazing, but I'm still more scared of Jokic and Doncic. Um, yep. And yeah, I think of those three, Dallas, Denver, and Portland, I at least, I, I think Portland is probably the most dangerous. Even I, I think people disagree with that, but I still think they have the most talent overall. Well, you answered the question I was just going to ask you is, you know, regardless of, of whether we're talking about the Lakers or anybody else, like which which of those three teams do you like the most? I, I'm surprised you'd say Portland. I mean, to me, it, it's still Denver for some reason. And I, I, I will admit, like, I don't think Denver's ceiling anymore is uh, Dark Horse Finals contender that I, I think they were before Jamal Murray blew out his knee. I, I think without him, they're, they're just not there. But, you know, like you, you compare Jokic and, and Doncic and maybe you can say like those guys cancel each other out. I still like the rest of Denver's roster more than Dallas's. And with Portland, it just feels like, you know, three weeks ago, we were ready to write them off. And like, are they going to be the eight or the nine and end up in the plan? And all of a sudden, you know, they've been really good. Dame has bounced back from a really bad month of April. And all of a sudden he looks like he's, you know, maybe a first team all NBA guy again. I I mean, again, if you're looking at it from the Lakers perspective, I think you'd feel really good about playing any of those teams, especially in round two. But I, I have a hard time kind of picking or, or ordering those three, you know, one, two, three in, in any order that I feel good about and, and say that one team is, you know, definitively better than the rest. Right. I mean, Denver not having Jamal Murray's big, but at the same time, I think there are probably there's a reason to like Michael Porter Jr. over Chris Stapps Porzingis at this point. Right. Oh, absolutely. Like Porzingis has better defensive potential. He's more of a tough matchup. But his health is a question. And Michael Porter Jr. can, like, easily score, like, 25 a game on, like, 50, 45, 90 shooting, basically. Uh, like, he's he's been absolutely ridiculous lately. And I think he is just as deadly as a number two. Uh, th- he, he's as deadly as Porzingis. So if you want to look at it that way from, like, a top two, then, yeah, I can I can definitely see Denver being more intimidating of an opponent than, than Dallas. Um, 
I think, yeah. And as much as, like you mentioned, Portland's been better lately. Um, I think they still, obviously they still have questions about like, what are they getting on the wing? You know, can yeah. Norman Powell and uh, Robert Covington defend enough? But I don't know. I still, I still like their talent. I, from what we, if, if Nurkic can turn back into what we saw like in the bubble last year, then they are going to be, uh, they're not going to be an easy out. No, no, they're not. And we have to remember, I mean, CJ McCollum was playing with a fracture in his back in the bubble. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Portland took game one from the Lakers. And, and from then on, it was kind of a route. And, and that Lillard missed time at the end of that series. Like everybody just kind of ran out of gas. But, you know, they, they have more, at least on this roster, than they have in years past. And they're going to go in healthier than they have, at least fingers crossed, and in years past. I want to take the Porter... Porzingis thing a step further. I, I don't even think it's close at this point. You know, like, is there anyone who would say like, yes, give me Kristaps Porzingis over Michael Porter for the next five years? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Cause at this point, the injury issues are pretty much even, right? Like they are, but with, I mean, with Porter, it's like, it's always going to be this, this specter in the back of your mind because it was, it was such an issue around the time he was drafted, but I don't like how many how many games in a row or how many seasons does he have to play before we just kind of declare him healthy? I don't know. I mean, I think it might take like multiple years, yeah. you know, because I think it's just kind of that one of those things that just kind of like lays in wait to some extent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, probably multiple years, but you never know. Like it could be something where he's uh, yeah, he's healthy for a few years and then he gets hit wrong or he falls wrong and then he misses a whole year. And then it's just like it's it's tough after that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess with Porter, it's like I'll just continue riding the wave of positivity, and and until oh, right. until the back injury returns, you know, then we'll address it. Whereas with Porzingis, I mean, this is getting it's getting bad. I mean, it, and he's for the most part he's been pretty good when he's healthy. The problem is, how many games is he playing at 100% full strength at this point? Like 20 to 30%? Because half the games he's playing, he's like one or two games removed from an injury, and then he'll miss another one, and he'll come back, and he's limited. Like we, it just feels like we haven't seen him at like 100% full strength. And forever. And then the way this is going, like, I just, it, it's going to be really hard going forward, I think, to count on him and say, this guy's going to be in our lineup for 55 out of 60 games every single year. And and the other part of this, too, is, I mean, he's making 32 mil next year, 34 mil in 22-23, and then he has a $36 million player option in 23-24. And, I mean, I for the sake of, of Porzingis and the Mavs and watching fun players play basketball. I hope this all reverses and and we look back in a few years and and think about how silly we were to worry about him getting hurt. But uh, frankly, I don't really see that being the case. And I, I think Dallas is maybe going to be in a kind of precarious situation where if they ultimately decide they want to move him, they're probably not going to get the value back, um, you know, that they gave up to get him in the first place. No, because it it kind of feels like you'd have to. I, I don't even know who would take Porzingis at this point. Is it a tanking team? Because he's 25. He's not like super young anymore. Right. You know, is it another contending team that would like take a chance on him? It, it would almost have to be a, a, either one, a tanking team or a team like Dallas when they got him that was just searching for the next guy <laughs> and like needed a needed a boost right away and wasn't going to be patient enough and wait for it, you know, through the draft. Because like if you're, I don't know, I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at a Charlotte? list of teams. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, you... yeah, a team like that, that maybe doesn't have another avenue to get a star. But like, I mean, if you're a team like, Phoenix or Utah or Denver. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing out like teams that are kind of on the cusp. I don't think you could take that risk because if he, if he ends up averaging 40 games a year for the next five years, that's, you know, that's probably going to tank your chances of ever winning the title. True. Yeah. Maybe it is like a middle tier team like Charlotte or 
I don't even know. I mean, Washington might <laughs> fall into that group at this point. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm just not like the problem is like who like who do you give up to to make mm-hmm. this happen? You know, um, yeah. like if it was Washington, I'm sure they'd have to give up Hajimura and Thomas Bryant, Bertans for salary. Right. Well, that's um, that's the other thing is you, like it's it's one thing of what kind of talent are you giving up or what kind of picks are you giving up versus you also have to match thirty million dollars in salary. Right. And I think that's something you know maybe, I mean maybe Dallas would. Can- We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But um, yeah, I think it, I think it maybe does come down to one of those teams who um, they're not going to get any talent in free agency, mm-hmm. right? So they have they have to trade for it. And they have to take risks, right? And that that's like a five to six uh, team group in the league right now. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but it, it does kind of feel like it's heading toward you know 10 15 years down the road we'll look back at you know the, the second time that he towards the i think it was actually against the bucks right when he was still with the knicks yeah. and like that was kind of the turning point where he just never never quite recovered hopefully i'm wrong about that but but it does feel like that's where it's headed uh speaking of washington and charlotte i guess for that matter at, at this point would you rather see if we're talking the seven and the eight seed in the eastern conference with with what's going on with boston jalen brown being done for the year robert williams also banged up i, I don't know how much time he's gonna miss is it fair to say that you would rather see Charlotte and Washington as a seven and eight over Boston and Indiana? Um, yes, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of, I'd still be worried about the Celtics to some extent, um, even without Jalen Brown, just because, I mean, that team, I mean, that team still does have a lot of playoff experience, right? Like, even though they haven't been to the finals. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. This is a, this is a tough question because Charlotte is obviously like a, a team that feels like they could pull off an upset against the right team. Um, Washington has like so much talent with with uh, Westbrook and, and Beal. So I don't know. I mean, do you do you have a strong opinion on that? So for me, I don't really see Charlotte or Washington or Boston, for that matter, as a true threat in terms of a, a first round playoff upset because I think Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, those teams are just too good at the top and you know charlotte we like the young pieces uh, obviously lamello and and you know pj washington has been really good but no gordon hayward um you know, we should mention rosier obviously had, had a breakout year as well but it still feels like they're a year or two away from really you know winning a playoff series let alone pulling an upset over one of these caliber of teams so for me it's more just about who would i rather watch in those series and Indiana, I know they're like weirdly playing at the weird the league's fastest pace over the last like 15 or 20 games out of nowhere 
but still not really a team I enjoy watching all that much. They have a bunch of injuries as well. And with Boston, I mean, it, it just feels like we've been in this exact same cycle with them for the entire season. And, you know, the, the adversity of, of COVID-19 and obviously losing Jalen Brown uh, has added to it. There are reasons why they're only two games above 500, but it just feels like, you know, Boston, Brooklyn, I, you know, maybe Jason Tatum has one big game and, and, and it's a five game series, but to me, I would, I would rather like have the just insane variance that Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal bring to a series. Yeah. From an, from an entertainment perspective, Charlotte and Washington, I think are the most fun. Indiana, I think will be more fun over Celtics uh, at this point. Yeah. Like there's always a chance, like you mentioned, Tatum or Kemba Walker goes off. Robert Williams has some like crazy 10 block game. But I, yeah, I mean, Westbrook, you know, just go trying to go like 30, 10 and 10 every game. Right. Um, you know, LaMelo Ball, like seeing him in the playoffs, alley-oops to Miles Bridges, the whole thing. Yep. Um, like, I, I would definitely love to see that. And even with Indiana, like, I think Indiana has some like kind of sneaky potential, too, because if they can actually get healthy by the time the playoffs come around and Brogdon's back mm-hmm. and Sabonis is playing well and they still have LeVert, um, that team has the potential to be fun. For sure. And I think they have a chance to challenge. Yeah. Um, like if they got to the second round, you know, that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me at all. I, it would, though, for me, because they would have to beat Philly, Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Like, I, I think they're oh, yeah. those teams are capable. Like if they're playing the Knicks or the Hawks or maybe even Miami in round one, then I could see it. But I, I just think, you know, those teams have no path to getting above the seven or the eight. So you're basically locked into playing one of those juggernauts. So okay. um, I was I was looking at the wins column, not the loss. Oh, column. yeah, yeah. Or something. Where do we stand on Boston's core right now, by the way? Uh, I mean, there was talk on the Simmons pod the other day of like, is this the end of Marcus Smart in Boston? Has he kind of worn out his welcome as far as his fit with this roster? I, I, I am willing to write off this season to some degree just because of all the time that that key players missed. And, um, you know, Tatum even basically saying that he's had to use like an inhaler this year and just hasn't felt like himself, although he still played plenty fine after the COVID diagnosis. But I think this team, like right when the Fultz trade happened and Fultz was a bust and Tatum, you know, was like basically an instant hit and has, has only gotten better since then. And, and Jalen Brown has only improved since then. It, it's felt like there's been a lot of good things happening. But at the same time, you look at the standings and they're always, you know, somewhere between like fourth and seventh when it feels like talent wise, they should be closer to that Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee group. I, I think part of it goes back to, to the Kemba Walker signing, which on paper was great, was a perfect fit. And, you know, his knee issues, I, I think, have been a lot more severe than, than Boston ever anticipated. That's that's obviously been a hindrance. But, I mean, what what is the what is the outlook going forward? Because, you know, you're spending a lot of money on Tatum and Brown. You're spending a lot of money on Kemba going forward. There's not a, a super clear pathway to making that leap, you know, into that top tier with Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, I like, I mean, I like Tatum and Brown together. You have to keep those guys. Um, I think that's pretty obvious but other than that i don't think there's anybody on this roster that i that is not like a take it or leave it player for me like marcus smart eh, you know maybe i'd prefer something else kemba walker i'm just not sure it's like gonna work out with him and his, his knee issues like it's not like we expect a ton from fournier you know like tristan thompson like so uh, i just i think they could like re try to retool the entire roster around table with Brown and just hope they stumble into a better combination. Like, obviously that's easier said than done when you have like, you have to like trade smart and Walker mm-hmm. and you're not going to get good deals for either of those guys. Um, but like the thing is the, I mean, the depth on this roster is like 
horrible, like bad. You know, they have to rely. Like it's, there's a lot of Peyton Pritchard going on. There's a lot of Grant Williams. Semi Ojale is like, was playing a lot. Now he's out of the rotation. Um, It's like they've done for as good of a job as the, the Celtics have done drafting smart Brown and Tatum. They have been awful with like the other, (laughs) the supporting guys. I, really, for me, it comes down to Kemba. And we talked about how difficult it would be hypothetically to move Porzingis. And I mean, Kemba is, what, five, five, six years older. Uh, he, he does have fewer time remaining on his contract, but we're still looking at $36 million next year and then a $38 million player option for 22-23. And, and much like Porzingis, you know, what team looks at Kemba Walker and, and says like, yes, you know, the, this team, this this good team that we thought was good in Boston is looking to get rid of this guy. Let's take him. It's going to work for us. Like I... I just I think they're kind of stuck with him right now. And I mean, they you know, he, he didn't play the first portion of the season. Like they've been extremely uh, aggressive as far as resting him. And unfortunately, it just hasn't really made a difference. And I mean, the way that the knee issues are talked about, you know, it's kind of a degenerative type of thing. It's not like, you know, he's just going to finally reach enough rest where he's just good to go going forward. Like, I, I don't really see this this issue like progressing in any way. I, I think the version of Kemba Walker we saw this year might be the best case scenario for the next two years. Right. Yeah. I don't know who takes him. I think, I think, I mean, in theory, maybe it's the same list of teams we were talking about before, but I think they'd mm-hmm. be less inclined to take him than they would Porzingis. Um, yeah. And the amount of teams of age, that are like yeah. age and the amount of teams that like need a point guard, you know, like if you're Chicago and you're just trying to stack talent, it's like, maybe you just want Kobe white, like it less risk, less money, younger. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't even know what you would do with him. I guess. Yeah. If you're the Celtics, I think you have to, kind of be resigned to the fact that you are probably stuck with him until maybe the last year of his deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, there are teams that would take him, but the type of, you know, it would almost have to be a salary dump type of deal. And, and he's, he's better than most of the players that you usually talk about in that context. But I mean, you're not, you're not going to go get like two really great championship, championship core pieces for Kemba Walker, you know, whatever team would be taking him on would be, you know, maybe maybe they send a, a draft pick or, you know, just kind of a, another salary to exchange that that ends a year earlier, something like that. Like you're, you're not really if you're going to make a move that drastic, it's going to kind of set back your timeline a little bit because you're, you're just not going to get fair value. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, it's just such a, a contrast, I think, from, you know, making the finals right away or the Eastern Conference finals, I should say, right away. You know, and that was I think was that LeBron's last or second to last year in Boston where, you know, they, they kind of had Cleveland dead to rights and looked like they were going to arrive a year early and, and end up playing Golden State in the finals. Um, and they end up losing that series. And, and ever since then, you know, Terry Rozier moves on. And and even as Brown and Tatum have improved, like like you said, the rest of the roster around them uh, most certainly has not. Yeah, I, I just don't know. Like, I don't foresee anybody that they currently have on the roster taking any sort of, like, leap. At all. Other, other than Robert Williams, which is a really yeah, okay. nice find. Yes. And like if you if you make the other moves around the roster, you know, even adequately getting a guy like that who, you know, a late first round pick who who turns out to be really good. Like that's the type of player that pushes you over the top if everyone else, you know, in, in like spots four through eight on the roster is really good. But when I mean, I mean it's just it's Neesmith at least looks a little bit better, but they have so many guys who in garbage time like look really good. And then when you actually need. Romeo Langford or Grant Williams or Semi Ojale to play 25 minutes for you. It, it's just been a disaster. Right. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention Williams, but like even Robert Williams, he's, he is a role player. 
right? Like maybe he can turn into a, you know, like 12, 12 and three guy, which would be amazing, Mm -hmm. but he's still not going to be, he shouldn't be the third best player on your team. No, exactly. He's, he's a, a really nice bonus piece when you have a nice roster around him. Oh, we didn't mention Jabari Parker. By the way, like I continue <laughs> to forget, is now on this roster and most likely will be playing in the playoffs. Uh, he is—he just turned 26. He has wow. He's only played seven playoff games. Were those all That's of the Bucks? Kinda, uh, yeah, that's kind of surprising be. and also not surprising at the same time. But um, yeah, I mean he's been playing lately, you know. But uh, <laughs> he has—he has been on an NBA court he, in two of the last five games. He has laced them up. He's been out there. The world is finally coming back and the NFL season is upon us. I don't know about you, but I'm pumped for the regular season schedule release on May 12th. Hey, that's actually today. If you're like me and you're looking to see the action live, then head on over to Vivid Seats, the ultimate go-to source for live events. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and comedy shows, Vivid Seats makes it easy for you to discover your favorite event, find your seat, gain entry, and make new memories. All you have to do is download the app, Choose your city and get access to the largest selection of tickets on the games and performances you love, including the NFL, MLB, NBA, and more. For a limited time, Vivid Seats is giving our listeners 10% off your ticket, up to $30 max. Just use the promo code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, ROTOWIRE, when you check out. Every purchase is backed by its 100% buyer guarantee, and you'll even earn cash back with the Vivid Seats rewards program. Vivid Seats, getting you into the game. I want to talk real quickly about the 2020 NBA draft, and then then we'll be on our way here. But I I was listening to a pod that was kind of doing a redraft on 2020. And for the most part, you know, pretty innocuous. It's, I I think, pretty obvious at the top. Um, You know, LaMelo Ball, I don't think you're going to find anyone who who wouldn't take him number one in a redraft. And and with Anthony Edwards' second half surge, I I think he's a pretty clear number two, uh, at least for me. But James Wiseman went, I think, 10th or 11th in this redraft. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I get it. Obviously he hasn't played in a while. He's, he's played fewer games than pretty much everybody that was drafted in the lottery outside of Jalen Smith. And, and I think Killian Hayes and didn't look good for a lot of those games, but 11th, I mean, are, are if, if you're redoing things now, would you rather have Obi Toppin, Denny Abdia, a uh, Kong Isaac Okoro? Like, are, are you still taking guys like that over Wiseman? No. I think I think oh, a lot of Wiseman's yeah I Wiseman I think you have to put into context like I think so much of the season for him is like you have to really dig into what his past you know 12 months or you know two years have been for Wiseman right which is he played I think three college games um so he basically essentially played no he essentially did not play in college um and in high school, I don't know how many even meaningful games he played. So this is his probably first meaningful basketball, maybe of his life. Um, and he also gets put into a situation where they kind of, and they put a lot of pressure on him. Um, and I think there was no room for him to try to figure out like what he could be in the NBA. I think the Warriors were really focused on putting him in a system that already existed which is weirdly a system that like does not thrive with someone other than Draymond Green at center. And if you're in that center spot, the goal for you is to kind of just like rim run and keep the ball moving, um, which is like, why would James Wiseman be doing that? Um, 
So I think you have to kind of separate like him from the context that he's been in lately. Cause I think he's had no room whatsoever to just mm-hmm. try to figure out what his role should be in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's been really tough to gauge like his basketball IQ, I guess. And I think for the most part, that's one of the reasons that people are really down on him because it, it just doesn't seem like he has like that next level vision or just kind of knows where to be on either end. And, and that, that is definitely concerning, but He's also extremely young and is thrown into a, a super difficult position. You know, didn't even play last year in college. Like he was coming in uh, basically cold, like wasn't able to work out in, in, in real settings with COVID, like extremely difficult situation for him to be in. And, you know, it's totally fair if you want to put ball in Edwards over Wiseman. I, I get that 100%. Um, I mean, even Okongwu has had some nice moments, but he's playing like seven to eight minutes a game. Uh, obviously, I would take Halliburton over him. Like I, I'm not saying he has to go number two or number three overall, but I mean, you know, guys like Okoro and, and Patrick Williams and, and Toppin and Abdiya, like, you know, Devin Vassell, I think, was was mentioned ahead of him as well. Those guys, to me, profile as really nice role players long term. Like, I'm, I'm definitely not willing to give up the dream that James Wiseman could be a, a very above average player in the NBA after 39 games played. Yeah, same here. I just think I think this is a I'm actually I'm surprised at how good a lot of these rookies have looked given the like lack of workouts available to them in theory, like with the team, no summer yeah. league, everything like that. Like Barely it's really, any preseason. Yeah. Right. Like really surprising to me um, how good some of these guys have looked. And um, but I think I think, you know, a lot of those guys were still playing, you know, like I, I just think I think Wiseman, again, was like in a worst case scenario to succeed. I think I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Uh, for me. So I think like if he ended up on a, if he ended up in a situation where he was, you know, able to like, they give him the ball, like he was a number one overall pick or like a top three pick or however you want to, you know, phrase like his, his draft slot. Um, I think we'd be talking about him differently if that was the case. It, it felt like they took a contradictory approach to developing him this year. Cause you know, everything out of Steve Kerr's mouth and Draymond Green's mouth even was like super positive. You know, it's like, we're, we're going to let him learn on the fly and, and then it, once they kind of got past that early season swoon and it, it started to look like and obviously became true that they could be a playoff team, they kind of just started to inch away from him. And and then like the tone, I felt like completely switched where, you know, they were losing a lot early on, but there was a ton of positivity around Wiseman. And then, you know, the team starts doing better, but Wiseman is kind of made out to be this like scapegoat for, for some of their shortcomings. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's hurt. And when he comes back, he's barely playing. And it, it just felt like everything kind of spiraled from there. And I, I was just really surprised at, at how, how drastically the tones, like with the way that they talked about him changed. Yeah. I felt there was like, it, it felt very like PR, right. It, it felt like there was some weird, like public relations effort almost. Yes. Um, on both ends of what you're talking about. Um, yeah, just really bizarre. I mean, the thing is, if you look at his per 36 mega numbers, they're great. Like he's 19 and 10, one and a half blocks. Um, so I think, you know, if he was if he was allowed to be out there more and allowed to play through his mistakes and play over Kavon Looney uh, and be out there for 30 minutes a game, you know, maybe we, we'd have a different discussion about him. But again, like if if you're someone who, you know, is going by what the team says, if you like look at the on off court stats, it's kind of hard to make a an argument that he should be out there for, you know, a long time, I guess, during games. Because he was a, he's a minus his on off court per 100 possessions is minus 16 and a half, which is not good. Well, and that's that's the blessing and the curse of going to a team that typically is not the caliber that's picking at number two, right? You know, yep. most of the time you're you're going to go to a Detroit 
or a Sacramento where you're you're just kind of thrown out there for 30 minutes a game. And if you lose by 57 points, then so be it. And, you know, you, you're still going to get your numbers. And, and for the most part, people are going to be encouraged. But yeah, I mean, my, my primary argument is that there's still enough promise with Wiseman. Like he didn't he wasn't a complete disaster. Like you remember when Hashim Thabit debuted, it was very clear, like 30 seconds into his career that this had, you know, Memphis had made a massive mistake and he was not going to be good. I definitely don't feel that same way about Wiseman. And like, e- even though, you know, Onyeka Kongwu or Isaiah Stewart's a good example is like a more productive player right now. And this is not a knock on Stewart, who I actually like quite a bit, but you know, the, the, the risk reward of where these guys are going to be long-term, like what, what is Stewart's ultimate ceiling? Probably not all that high, you know, maybe a higher floor than Wiseman, but you know, it, it, if we're talking basically a, a two thirds of a season sample with the abbreviated year and, and with all the time that, that Wiseman's missed probably less than two thirds, I just think it's way premature to be like, yeah, I'll take this guy who could develop into the seventh man for the Spurs over, you know, this guy who is like unanimously the best prospect in his high school class a year and a half ago. Right. And I think this is kind of the example that people should use. Like, I still think you should be able to draft a player out of high school, but I think this is an example of why there are people who are still against it. And like, if you bring a 19 or a 20 year old who has like, who's just basically out of high school into the league and it's just like they can't play more than 20 minutes a game. They're just like not ready for it. And they look mm. bad. And people start being like, well, you know, like, what the hell? Like, why we draft this guy? He's awful. And it's you have to, like, really put it into context. Like, if you look at Kobe's rookie numbers, oh, you know, Kobe goodness. came out of high school. Yeah, Kobe's, you know, 15 minutes a game, seven points, shot 40 percent from the field. Like, and it was that way for like two years. Kobe didn't score 20 points a game until his fourth year in the league. Yep. So I think there and there are. You know, there are plenty other of examples of guys like that who just like they needed the extra time. Like even, you know, uh, Kevin Garnett, his first year in the league, averaged 10 and six on 49 percent shooting. That's like worse. That's basically the same as Wiseman's numbers. Um, So like, yeah, and he was allowed to play 30 minutes a game for a terrible team. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know. the, The last point I'll say on this is like did anybody expect James Wiseman to come in super polished? Like, wasn't, wasn't one of the things that everybody talked about with him is, Hey, he's pretty raw. You know, like he was raw in high school. There was a little bit of questions about his motor. He kind of relied on just being longer and faster and more athletic than everybody. Like it wasn't like he was coming in as this finished product. And again, this kind of goes back to the narrative, just switching on a dime like that, where, you know, one minute he's this young kid who, you know, they just hope he can give us a spark to he's not ready. We we can't play him. Shut him down. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that if you had to pick one thing that stuck out about Wiseman watching him play is that his athleticism is insane. Like, you're running up and down the court, you're like, oh, my yeah. God, you know, go for a rebound, go for a block shot, right. catch an alley-oop. Right. Um, that alone, to me, is worth, like, I know Isaiah Stewart, like, leads all rookies in rebounds and blocks, and that, that's great, but I'm not, I'm not like, wowed by watching him. And even though Wiseman's numbers are nowhere near Stewart's, like, there are enough plays where you're like, man, if this guy can figure it out even, like, 20% more than he does right now, like he's so superior athletically to, to a lot of these fives in the league that like that, that's going to help him make up whatever, whatever gaps he might have in other parts of his game. Right. And this is why it's usually important not to like really, you know, uh, put like a a stamp on the rookie class until like, Mm -hmm. I mean, usually their second contracts um, is is kind of the point where you can start having, I think like a legitimate discussion about the, the class. Um, But yeah, I mean, I still, I'm still pretty high on Wiseman. Okay, one last thing that just came through. Donovan Mitchell done for the rest of the regular season. Uh, we, we don't really have an updated timetable. I, I think, I guess there's a possibility that 
this could still linger into the playoffs. Not a super encouraging sign that they're ruling him out, you know, six days in advance for Sunday's game. Uh, but does this change anything that we talked about at the top? I don't think so. Partially because I think maybe it should be expected. I think maybe behind the scenes, he's, I would guess maybe he's closer than, than, you know, being ruled out for like the remainder of the year, but that they just rather not have him just like completely focus on rehab, you know, behind the scenes, like go hundred percent. Um, and then be like, make sure he's good for game one. Um, that's my guess, but obviously like, I don't know. Does it change something for you? Do you feel like you, you have a bad, does it feel like a bad omen? It doesn't feel like a bad omen. I mean, it's, it kind of plays into what I was saying though. If you're the Lakers, like now, you know, for sure, this guy is not going to play, have any games over a five week span. And then he's just going to be back for game one. And, you know, I, I think it, for, well, for one, in our line of work, I appreciate the transparency here from the past <laughs> because 99 out of a hundred times we're, we're going to get the questionable game to game because the team is trying to make it look like he's closer than he actually is, et cetera. So I think it's interesting from that perspective that they're willing to concede like, yeah, he's just not that close unless he actually is. And, and they're trying to do, you know, whatever team they're going to play into thinking that he's uh, maybe not as, as healthy as he might be. But yeah, it, I mean, it just kind of makes me feel a little bit better about that hypothetical case that I laid out. And, and again, I, I, I do think it's unlikely that the Lakers finish with the eight, but man, as far as like having a, a kind of everything go wrong for you type of season, all of a sudden you're, you're the seven or the eight seed and, you know, to potentially draw the team that's been the best team in the league all season with its best player coming off of a, a five week absence is uh, interesting uh, to say the least. And Mike Conley, by the way, also not going to play Wednesday. So I, I think we might be getting closer to both of those guys entering the playoffs with long absences. The playoffs, these playoffs are, uh, they are very interesting. I'm, I'm really they excited are. for them. I think the plan has been good overall. Yeah, I, I'm back in. I, I went through kind of a rough patch with the NBA like the last week and a half. I was just I was just getting so sick of of the rest and some of these games feeling, feeling meaningless. But I'm 1,000% back in. The Bucks are they just announced today they're they're up to 50% capacity starting for the playoffs. So that should be like I think almost 9,000 fans at Fiserv. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean they were giving out shots like at least a couple weeks ago, right, at the arena. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, not surprising that um, that's a that's another thing too. Like by the time the playoffs like. I, I kind of wonder by the time the NBA finals is around, is there going to be an arena with like 75%? You know, I don't know what the rules are. I, I really, really hope so. I, I think that is the number one thing that I underestimated. I was I was just so glad that we had a playoffs last year because I, I hated the idea of the season ending and just cutting off, like just for historical purposes. Like I, I just didn't like it. And I'm, I'm really glad that the bubble worked out. It was awesome. It was so much better than the alternative. But I did not realize how much I missed, especially in the playoffs, having fans and having full loud crazy arenas yep. for yeah you know, we had some huge playoff moments and like you, you go back and it's like i've watched some of the highlights on youtube and it's like i just feel like i'm watching a summer league game and the players are just better yeah i mean that that was something i i was gonna bring up on another podcast i forgot i was just like watching old playoff highlights and like the the, the stadium being packed and like you could see oh, like, God, yeah yeah like you know like someone hits a dunk or a shot or just like something insane happens and like the crowd's going insane and you can like feel it. It's mm-hmm. it, it's something that like you didn't realize uh, like was so impactful. I mean, you knew in the back of your head, right? But like at this point, it's been like a year. Like we've gotten used to watching games like mm-hmm. this, um, and in this setting, that when you go back and you watch a normal basketball game, like with playoff implications, it's right. it's wild. In the regular season, you notice it too. I, I think people who watch a lot of basketball or a lot of sports in general 
you know, I think to the casual observer, you'd be like, yeah, you know, every game probably has about the same number of fans. It's about the same atmosphere. Like there, there's just subtle differences in like the noise levels and and the intensity that you could just, that is very audible when you're in the building and, you know, comes through the television as well. And it's just, that's, that's, I think played a role this year in like no games feeling like they really mattered in the regular season. You're like, there was a huge like jazz Suns game a couple weeks ago that I watched yeah. and I was just like, this just doesn't, like, I kept having to remind myself, like, these are the two best teams. This game really matters for seeding. And it's just like, there's nothing that the announcers can do. Like, the simulated arena crowd noise has been a, ma- a, ma- a massive bust, I think. I was I was pretty high on that going into the into the bubble. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to reasonably simulate what a crowd sounds like. That has not gone well at all. It, it doesn't sound like the real crowd, I don't think. Um, so even, even having 50%, you know, it's not 100, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be really noticeable because... So many, like, there's still like eight teams that have had no fans at all this year. Uh, a few have had, you know, like 25 or 30 percent, but I, I think 50 percent. It's still gonna look weird. Like, it's it's really cool when you see a packed arena and you can tell that there's not a single open seat in the house. But I, I think 9,000 people in a in an 18,000 seat arena, like, that's that's gonna make a pretty big difference uh, on the telecast. Yeah, I think some of it depends on like what is the like what are the actual rules? Is it like it's 50 percent capacity and like you can still sit next to each other? You know, is it like, are we just going to fill the entire lower bowl? Or is it that, no like, we need to make sure people are spaced out and it's going to be, like, spaced out evenly throughout the whole arena? Um, I feel like it will be the latter. I think so, too, as good, unfortunately. But, um, we'll take it at this point. Filling the lower bowl would be awesome. I, 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 I agree with you that I think there's still going to be this effort to space things out, um, even though, like, in my opinion, at this point, you know, like, a year and a half into the pandemic, I, I think that's almost more for optics. Right. It's like you just want to make it look like you're, you're being really safe. I, I don't know that you know most people going to these games are probably either vaccinated or have had it or, you know, they feel comfortable being in that environment anyway. I don't think you're only going there being like, I'm, I'm only going to this Milwaukee Bucks playoff game with 9000 people there. If I if I have two spots between my seat and the next seat, you know, like if you're going, you're comfortable with whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there maybe there'll be different rules regarding like if you can prove you've had both your vaccine doses yeah. Then the the arena rules are different, but um, we'll see. Yeah. That would be ideal. All right, we got a ton of news coming in for Tuesday night's game. Uh, Eleven games on this slate, so we got to run. But that'll do it for us. We are presented again by WinBet. Uh, make sure you check them out. They'll be a presenting sponsor of this podcast for the foreseeable future.